Welcome to Young for My Age, a show that explores aging and ageism in a world obsessed with youthfulness. I'm your co-host, Kelly Anderson. And I'm co-host, Andrea Barker. It's time we had a conversation about the fears, joys, and unknowns around aging. So join us as we dismantle the myths and societal norms, and hopefully we have a little fun along the way. Adam. Hello. 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 Let me turn on my camera yeah where's your beautiful face yes hello do i'm gonna fade the background or anything oh i like yes please no i'm kidding no you're great no i'm totally messing with you you're good i love that you're standing you're standing up that's a very standing desk for the old man that's healthy healthy thing this is Kelly, Kelly Hi, Adam. Hi, Kelly. How are you? How it's are you? It's so good to meet you. Thank you for coming on with no, us. No worries. It's great to be here. I'm sorry. I wish I had a haircut scheduled that I had to cancel for something. And I'm like, dang it. No, oh, no. No one's going to see the video. We're we're uh, going to go purely audio. So okay, don't yes. worry. That's even yeah. better. Now it's I'm just nice to, nice to see you interacting. <laughs> you. Um, how well, are you? How's your oh, day? Well, I'm trying to move this so I can look you guys in the eye versus looking to the side here. Uh, things are good. Things are good. Just chugging along, you know, living the life, you know. Yeah. Uh, How's t- Bellingham treating you guys? I love that's, you know, the one thing that keeps me happy. Bellingham is is fantastic. It's um, so good. I rode, I mean, I ride mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, if, Kelly, if you know this, I love mountain biking. Seven minutes from my door, I can be off road and it's, oh, yeah. it's so good. So we have um, some good family friends in Bellingham that are like, the top tier of outdoor enthusiasts that I know. And so I know like they move there for that reason. Yeah. All the outdoor playground stuff that they can have. So I get it. Yeah. Everything's here. I mean, if you love the water stuff, you know, Bellingham Bay is right there. And if you love the mountains, you like to ski in winter, you know, Baker, I guess is an hour away, but it feels like you're close. Yeah. (laughs) But it's a two-lane road. So it takes a long way. Yeah, that's such a mecca of awesomeness. I'm glad you're riding again. Yes. Didn't you have a surgery recently? Yes, I did. Last November, yeah. I okay. had uh, two discs replaced. Oof. So some sweet titanium. So it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade. Yeah, yeah, upgrade. that's right. <laughs> Take advantage of the mo- of modern medicine. Modern. I mean, well. what? That, I mean, it's so funny. Had this happen like two, 10 years ago, I would be this, you know, I can move my head and do everything because they don't have to fuse. They don't do the fusion anymore. Like Peyton Manning, you think Peyton Manning, like super high end quarterback, he has the fusion. Oh my gosh. They did because that's what they did just a few years ago. There was this, there's this hockey player, this pro hockey player, 25 years old, needed the same surgery. And he was on a team called the Buffalo Sabres. And the Sabres refused the surgery because the surgery is kind of new. This disc replacement is the newer thing. And they they weren't weren't going to let him play on their team with if he tried this thing. So he got traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. And now they just made it to the Stanley Cup yesterday. So oh, wow. I saw him and he had the same scar as me. I was like, pointed out to my wife. I was like, look, we got the same scar. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't realize we were getting a uh, an update on the high hockey tournament. Yes, That's awesome. <laughs> We, yeah, we started this podcast. Um, really the conversation kind of started around this idea of be like, like this phrase from Krista Tippett, which is some people become elders and other people just get old Mm. and kind of like, what does that mean? 
And what does it mean to like us personally? What does it mean to the society as a whole, especially in the culture that we're in that, which is fairly obsessed with youthfulness and biohacking your way into being young and and, and forever. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And, and this uh, idea of, of like shaming people about this natural aging process that happens. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So that's really the premise of the show. And we have done a few episodes. It's mainly been me. It has been only me and Kelly uh, just having conversations about different topics. Recently, we did a couple of episodes around aging as a woman, just really specific to the feminine um, process and and just like being a female in this aging world. And, And our thought with this is let's get a perspective from a guy who, in my opinion, is very young for your age (laughs) in the way that you present yourself to the world um, on the outside and on honestly on the inside more importantly yeah um so yeah that's kind of that's where we're coming from okay is that kelly did you have anything to add to that no i mean that that definitely covers the theme like don't worry too much about having to be prim and proper you know like we're just about being real on the okay. show. We're not trying to come at like any specific angle. We're not trying to sway anyone's opinions about anything. Like we just want to be super real, collect all the different thoughts and ideas and opinions that are out there about the topic. Yeah. Like this is just conversational. This doesn't have to be some like, you know, uptight interview or anything. I'm not like on the that. view. I'm not on the view. You're not on the view. Uh, no. You're not getting cooked by the ladies here. Like this is really just a, an open conversation about the topics. And um, again, like a man's perspective since, you know, the first three episodes, first four episodes have just been Dreej and I, not just, but you know, the, yeah, the yeah. women's perspective. So, yeah. you know, and we would love our, I mean, we have a mixed audience, so we would love um, to have a man's perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm very honored that you thought of me and that you want me to be a part of this. This is, this is great. This is great. Well, Super yeah. excited. We're happy that you said yes. So thanks, Adam, you know, for, for our listeners, uh, anyone who there's a few people that listen to this, that would know Adam Gossett, uh, my dear friend for many, many years. Um, I, you know, I, I came to know Adam through work uh, many years ago, gosh, 2011 about. So it's been a little while. He was a colleague of mine and instantly we just connected on, on that level of just two humans that I think have a vibrance for life and a true, um, I I would say ability and desire to get deep really fast. So Adam and I immediately were having some pretty robust conversations and also having a lot of fun. I feel, I like to believe that at those uh, days where at the company we were at, we were pretty much the life of the party. Adam, would you say yes? High five through the (laughs) screen. (laughs) High five. What it comes down to is um, I have always admired Adam, not only as a a human and like as a friend, but he's he's just the way that he has lived his life is sort of, in my opinion, like it's extremely worth emulation. And he's had the ups and downs like all of us. And I would love to, for, to have him speak to some of these and I'll ask some questions, but, but really, I just want everyone to know Adam 
for who he is. And so I'm going to throw it to Adam and ask you to just kind of give a quick synopsis of who you are, where you came from, where your your journey has kind of taken you as far as physical locality space. And then we'll get into a little bit of the, the deeper topics. Do you mind? Yeah, I don't mind at all. Yeah. I was going to add, I think we both had a shared touch of madness. Which oh, just a little. A, just a little <laughs> kiss, a kiss of madness, which, uh, which, <laughs> which adds to the fun. Got to have a little Indeed. bit of that. Otherwise, this world is just too, just too sad. Otherwise, you got to be able to have a laugh sometimes, no matter how scary and sad it gets. But um, I guess if starting from the top, yeah, I was start from the top. born in Los Angeles, California. I was born in L.A., um, my dad was an actor, what you call a day player in the biz. So he did uh, little parts on shows like Chips and Different Strokes. Um, what are some other ones? Uh, Charlie's Angels, things like that. My mom was a painter. Um, so we were all, the whole starving artist experience was was my early years of, yeah. But you know, love a loving family. Uh, but we weren't wealthy at all. Um, not a lot. We used to say, you know, we're not poor, but we're rich in love. You know, that was our battle cry when we were little kids. I remember I found five bucks in the street once when I was little. I was probably like five or six. And I brought it home. And we, <laughs> of course, instead of like going to get groceries or something like that, we went out. And we went to the museum and had lunch and we had it this day on that on five bucks. That shows you how old I am. So yes, LA, LA was to anyone who knows, LA was kind of a magical place up until I would say 84, right after the Olympics, it all kind of got dark really fast. Um, it's crazy to think how close my brother and I were to a very different existence. I, I, I don't want to be the, like I'm on a, a fox singing show. We always have the person like, well, then this happened, you know, and you gotta have the tear. So, but in reality, the neighborhood got dark real quick. Most of our friends didn't make it out of the neighborhood. Uh, it just got, I don't know what happened. Post, we were all break dancers at one point. I know to age myself even more, but we were those kids in the street, you know, break dancing with the painter's caps. Um, and it's so funny now. I do have to call this out that I remember I, I was at a mall recently and there was these kids breakdancing. And I was like, what the, when we were kids, if you were caught breakdancing, the police came. Like it was illegal to breakdance in front of stores when we were kids. And we would break dance as long as we could. We'd bring the cardboard and then someone would call the cops and we'd all just scatter, scatter oh like rats. Gosh. So the sad thing is they're here we have these kids like just wanting to dance and then they made us criminals. So a lot of us became criminals. Like it's kind of like, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. We got treated like criminals and all of a sudden most of our friends, uh, sad enough to say, became criminal criminals and joined the gangs and all that stuff. But the one lucky thing that did happen in this case to us, the thing that saved us was my brother at 1984, the Olympics came to Los Angeles. So our hometown, 84. My brother had been out with his, you know, hoodlum friends all night. I was, I guess, yeah, I was 12 at this point. All of a sudden, my dad's like, hey, the torch is coming by. And we jumped into our 67 LTD. I woke up my brother and got him out of bed. And we ran to this intersection. It was Chandler and Vineland, as a matter of fact. Intersection of Chandler and Vineland. My dad just pulled right onto the railroad tracks. He was a New Yorker. He parked anywhere he wanted. 
We jump out of the car and right then the guy with the torch comes by. And he was, it's so funny. I think they run like a quarter mile. But back then, I think these guys were running like a long way because this guy was drenched in sweat and carrying that torch. And something snapped for my older brother. He just saw that torch and he was like, what is that? So from about to head us into gang warfare, my brother flips everything and decides he wants to run run in the Olympics. And he gets so inspired that we depart from that group of friends. And my brother becomes a cross country runner. And we get all these, we get friends from a different socioeconomic background who are cross country runners, something we never even knew people just ran, you know, we grew up in a predominantly Latino. And yeah, it was a predominantly Latino neighborhood. There was a few African American kids, but it was all it was all minority kids is what we were in the valley. And snap, all of a sudden, Chris is running cross country and he's super talented. He's winning races and slow. At that very moment, they all get into the serious gangs, like the serious over. We call it over the hill. So when you live in the valley, you are in the San Fernando Valley and over the hill is Los Angeles, the serious gangs. Like but he's running cross country. So all of a sudden we're meeting all these people who are going to college and it just put us on a totally different world. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here today were it not for the Olympic torch running by. I know it's crazy. That's but, you know, wild. People say, why are there an Olympics? You know, it really changed our lives. That changed our lives. So now my brother is this very successful artist and he, you know, has worked in the business a long time. Uh, he created the double-edged lightsaber for Star Wars. And that all comes from that torch. And then, yeah, I played football my senior year, probably the reason my neck needed a, a disc replacement. I just didn't know how to tackle correctly. And I remember a game where I took a guy out of bounds with just my head. What was I, <laughs> what was I thinking? So uh, you didn't that realized that uh, that would eventually be part of your yes. physical aging process. Yes, you don't know <laughs> that that moment at 17, you just snap up and you're like, yep, should be fine, should be fine. And it was, thankfully. I stopped running my freshman year um, and then I took my, I ended up breaking up with my high school girlfriend that year and I decided to quit school and I'd go, I went and worked at Miller's Outpost, which is a place that sold like Levi's. And I had that nine, it was like six months of like being not in college. And I realized, oh boy, if I don't go back to college, this, this is what I get to do, work retail. So that was my wake up call to get back into school. I get back into school, finishing up my freshman year, my meet my now wife, <laughs> which is crazy. She was a freshman. Uh, so I meet Wendy um, in a drama class. So on my birthday, I'm 20 at this point, it's LA riots and the over the hills on fire. And I, I lose a couple of friends in the aftermath of that in uh, just being in the world they were. Um, a couple of friends end up getting murdered. And it just is another wake up call of like, I think this city burns down every 30 years. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I want to stay in LA. Like I don't, I want to see what else is out there. So Wendy's parents had moved to Washington uh, earlier that year. So we transfer up to Bellevue Community College, which is now Bellevue College. And uh, it rains. I think we had, we got there in June. And I think it rained until October. It was, they called it the bummer summer. You can look it up, the summer of 1993. And um, I ended up singing 
at Bellevue College. I had a, there was a lovely professor there who I auditioned, but I had no money to pay <laughs> to be in the class. All I could afford, school was so expensive up here compared to LA. LA, for you folks in the time machine, was $50 to a per semester in the early 90s. $50, five zero. So I move up here and it's $1,200. <laughs> like, how am I going to pay for it? So all we could afford was telecourses. So you'd get a box of videotapes and you would watch videos and then go to class once a week at night. So, but I end up, I show up to the, I was singing at the time. So I, I go to the choir master and I audition saying, I can't afford to be in this, but I'll use my whole financial aid check to be in this choir because I'm losing my mind here. And he was like, just, just show up is what he said. So I just started showing up and I ended up being the lead in the show. And it, it was a really great experience. The first mm -hmm. touch of ageism I ever got, I was 25 when the first time I was told lie about your age, I was 25 years old. I was singing for Seattle opera at the time I was in their young artist program. And my voice teacher says to me, say you're 21, <laughs> 25, I'm 25 years old. They're like, you, they think you're 21. Just if someone, unless you're asked, just go with your 21 because they think you're 21. So that was my first touch of like, my God, Why? because they thought they didn't, I was a transfer student. So I was a little older, but that, you know, me being at UW mm -hmm. and being an undergrad, they assumed I was 21. Right. So okay. that was part of the thing they wanted for their young artist program. I was a little old for the young artist program, but that was my first kiss of ageism at Seattle Opera. So I finished college. I end up working at a bike shop for a little bit. And I meet some people that I meet this head rep, basically, who says, hey, I think you'd be good at this. And I was like, no. Isn't, I said, doesn't that include, don't I have to drive a bunch? I don't like driving. <laughs> I told him, I said, I don't really like driving that much. I don't want to drive for my career. But he was like, no, no, you'd be great. So I take the job because the one thing working in a bike shop, I was already kind of at the top of the pay scale and I was getting to the age where we wanted to have a family. So I take the job as a rep. And I remember, Andrea, the first sales meeting I ever went to, this is 2004, and they're yelling at us for numbers for an, and two hours. The guy is just going account by account by account by, he's up this, and I remember thinking, I got to get out of here. Like I knew I was in the wrong job the very first sales meeting, I knew I shouldn't be here. I like, I don't belong here. This is not what I'm good at. I'm not, I'm not a just numbers crunching robot. I was like, I can't do this. I, I was almost quit, but this job, the greatest thing about that job is that as you met these accounts, you really got, they're just people that, you know, mm -hmm. have families and dreams and, and hopes. And this is their little business and they're super excited about it. So that was how I stayed in that job as long as I did. Right. But would you say, yes. Would you say though, as we're, you know, as you're talking about that, I'm, I'm very curious to a couple of things you said. Yeah. So number one, you're working in a bike shop and I, I have a lot of experience in that space as well. Yeah. And I have noticed that in a lot of those, like a specialty retail space specifically, there is, um, a almost like an this idea of this is a Passover, you know, job. Yes. And and if you're over this certain, certain age, age, 
No, like you're either doing it as retirement, as like a fun gig, or it's so true. There, so there's not a lot of space within that uh, retail environment, and, a, and some some retailers do it beautifully. I would say they are the anomaly, to be yes. honest. But yeah, so how much of that um, kind of culture that was happening in that in that bike shop, and and there, don't worry, no names are going to be named. Um, how much of that was one of the and where you were in your life? Yes. Was that push to, you know, go to a job where immediately you knew it wasn't for you? (laughs) It's true. It's really true. It was that the one thing I will say about the shop I worked at at the time, we were, we were all, there was a ton of us that were overqualified to be there. I worked with a fellow who was a nuclear engineer in the Navy who was just kind of there for a little bit. All of us were college graduates. We were all well overqualified to be there but the shop was just I don't know that you talk to people about the shop at that time and they will say it really was kind of a magical spot but 9-11 happens so this is 2001 and there's people stop shopping if you remember you know 9-11 happens the world stops shopping so all of a sudden no one's buying anything and the, I had this really great position called the merchandiser. So I did all the floor sets and all. I was doing something that was kind of creative. And I think, and that's what kind of kept me, even though I was making tiny money, but it was enough. We had roommates, you know, it was those years. But once they put me, they go, hey, we can't afford to have that position anymore. You're going to be just the guy on the floor as a manager. That's when it got depressing because I felt like really felt the weight of like, Oh my God, what am I doing here? I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm going to be 30 and I'm still working at a bike shop. I did have that moment of like, Oh, my poor wife, you know, we were married at that point and we're, we have, you know, we're barely making it (laughs) in our place. So there was that pressure to become more why I ended up taking the job that was not the the right job for me, obviously. Um, But it paid it's that sad thing that a lot of us, you know, that we do in life, you know, we have all these dreams, but you get married and you, the responsibilities of life come and you, you want to have a little money in the bank. So yes, there is that. I was just saying that, that pressure to make more when you get to a certain age and Mm -hmm. that's, and, and then that never stops. You think you, you do get caught up in it as we all do. I mean, I know I did i got caught up in the 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 golden hamster wheel i've i've seen it called many things you know the gilded cage the golden handcuffs you just have to keep making more even though that company we worked for um ab and, and i it was pretty rough there were some terrible people who worked there i mean the majority of the people were great but like it's weird how it's so funny i kind of still want to write a paper about failing up it's a weird phenomenon that you see in American corporations where you see these terrible people keep moving up and no matter what they do, they do, they destroy whole divisions, but then they become a vice president of the next division. And I was like, what, how is this possible? You know who I'm talking about, AB, yeah. but it's just, they destroy the clothing division and then end up in charge of shoes. You're like, <laughs> How does this keep happening? And these people you hope are just going to go away, just becoming more powerful in the company. And yeah. I was I was making great money there for a bit. And then I just wasn't. And once again, you get to that age where people just start dying of cancer. You know, we lost a good friend of ours that we both rep together with. 
died of cancer at 44 and I, we lost my daughter's preschool teacher at 45. And that was my wake up moment. Do you want me to talk about that, that whole midlife? Yeah. I mean, week? this is a, a really uh, cool uh, kind of direction to take the conversation, to be honest. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to let Kelly chime in a little bit. She might have some more specific questions, but yeah. Um, you know, Kelly is a, is actually a career coach after a long time corporate job, like in that same space of, and I'll let her speak to it. Um, but yeah, she has a pretty unique perspective on this and, um, yeah, I'd love to, to hear her talk a little bit about this topic for a minute. And then, um, we'd love to hear your, your, I guess, midlife moment. I don't want to call it a crisis. They call it, in the Irish called it a midlife renaissance. That's how they say renaissance. Love that. Midlife renaissance is what you're having, lad. (laughs) Yeah, so Adam, it sounds like the awakening moment for you was, okay, I'm I'm in this career that I strongly dislike, this company that I strongly dislike. It feels out of alignment. There's people around me dying at young ages. Yeah what were, what were some of the beliefs or thoughts in your mind that you felt like you had to overcome before making a big change? Like what were maybe the things that were holding you back prior to, and I know you'll get into the change, but what was that conversation with yourself like? So in my thirties, it was persevere because if you do good work, you'll rise to the top. If you work hard enough, no matter who these people are, are, you'll get past them just because if you work hard enough, they'll see that you're valuable to them. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I got past in my 30s. In my 40s, the realization that none of it, (laughs) I hate to say this, that nothing matters to them no matter how successful you are, if you don't, I, I, I just made an enemy of the wrong stakeholder. And no matter what I did, that was it. That it was that it took me a, a long time to get past that. I remember I, it was hard. Like my whole belief system got broken at that point. I thought if I created this much wealth for them, how could they punish me for that? How could they and I will just 12 hour days, 14 hour days, I swear, just mind numbing spreadsheets creating for this large, large corporation to make our products viable for them. And they just took it all away like that. Yeah. And that was it. That, that, that happened. So I'm now in my forties and that happens. And then my, our two friends pass who are just around the same age as us at the time. And I had this moment of is this it? Is I've done everything you're supposed to. I had the house. Andrea saw that house. It was a lovely, I had the house. I had all the bikes I wanted. I had all the stuff and I was miserable, miserable because now I have the pressure of how do I keep this? You know, I have to keep putting up with these monsters because, and I, I, the, the pressure was still rising, but the money was going down. And it was just this weird, I, I, in my mind, I was, I, I remember when I did give them my resignation and they were all so shocked. And I was like, how are you, <laughs> how, are you how are you shocked when you, all you're, you're never, you know, they're very not kind people, you know, 
they were one of these companies where they didn't, we don't need to be kind. We're paying you, you know, they, it was none of the, the holistic things that we have in our, why well, hopefully are out in corporations these days, trying to make people feel valuable. There was none of that because we were hired guns. We were independent contractors. Yeah. I made a hundred percent commission for 14 years. I had no set salary for 14 years. It was yeah. all your force of will, as you know. And that's so, a, a like space where you live a little bit in scarcity. So, and which is part of that story that you're probably telling yourself, like, if I quit, what am I going to do? Because mm-hmm. the, you know, everything, all of everything that you do is like related to income. It's like the input is supposed to be related to the output, then it's exactly. not. And all of a sudden, all your beliefs are kind of turned over on their head. That's exactly right. Like, I remember input- many conversations that you and I have had during that period of time when I was wanting to quit also. And, and then when I did, it just felt so good. Um, But I remember when you called me after you'd resigned and you were crying, Crying. like you were crying, but it was out of joy. Yes. It was was a very odd conversation, but I loved it. It, (laughs) But it was, it was kind of a, uh, it was almost like you couldn't believe that you had the power to kind of take back that part of your life. It's true. Is it's that just, true to how you were Yeah, feeling? it was like a catharsis. You know what I mean? You were just, it, it was it was hard because you were stepping away from everything you created, basically. Mm-hmm. I was handing the keys to the kingdom to whoever was going to take over the territory. I had an mm-hmm. idea who would end up with it, and they did. Uh, but I had worked so hard to build this thing from nothing, and I was just walking away. What I kept telling myself is I don't want to be in an industry where people like the people who are in power in this company are succeeding. I don't want to ever be a part of something like that again. I want to work with good people doing good work. And if people do good work, they get rewarded for the work they do. That's what I was looking for when I. So how we did it, how we pulled it off is we sold that big Seattle house. That's what we did. We sold our dream, quote unquote, dream house. The house I had told my wife, you're going to bury me in this house. I was just so done with moving and we were going to be in this house and it was gorgeous and the kids were in a good school and and all of a sudden we decided to just blow that all up we sold the big house and I remember I gave my car to the head teacher at our school and said hey if I come back just we had a handshake deal if I come back and it's still running you give it back to me (laughs) and we put Wendy's car into storage and we left the country we left the country we What age was that at when you made this massive transition? 44. 44. Yeah. So I, a little bit about my story, Adam, I won't go down the road because it's on a previous episode, but I made a similar transition uh, about two years ago. I was 36 at the time and left a 15 year corporate career as well. And I remember for me, I had a number of beliefs and fears arise during that transition. And some of them were age related right? Like, what am I going to do now? What if my ideas fail? Then what? Because then I'd be going back into the workforce at such and such age. So I'm curious, during this transition, what age-related fears came up for you that you had to work through and overcome? Uh, To your point, it's exactly that. I was like, I'm going to, I'm leaving this job that, I, I mean, granted, the money was going the wrong way anyway, uh, but it was still, you know, a six figure job. You know, I was 14 years in at that point. And the thought of like, wow, if this doesn't work out, I could be in big, 
we could be in big trouble. But at the same time, uh, that's how desperate a situation it was mm -hmm. that I would rather have to work that hard again to rebuild my life as I'm kind of doing now. I mean, I'm doing, we're doing fine. You know, I found a, a, a really good job that pays the bills. It's not, it's not the rep money that I was making at the height of my powers, but it's enough. And I think that's it. If we have less, it's less pressure to have all the stuff. And I, I think that was the big wake up call that I had this, I had everything. I had everything you think you I wanted as a young, that young poor kid with his artist parents who had an empty refrigerator, <laughs> you know, I had everything. We had food and we had stuff, and but yet I was so miserable. And I would rather start over than be another minute in that world. Even though there are still the fears, I'm still, and you know, I'm in my early fifties now. Mm -hmm. Who knew there was gonna be a global pandemic that's gonna take away two years, but, once again, I'm so glad we did what we did. We traveled around the world with my kids um, for six months. And then I went back to school in the Republic of Ireland and we lived in Ireland for um, almost two years. We were there and it was a lovely experience. It was a life-changing experience for all of us. And it was really just seeing that other world and realizing you don't need as much stuff as Americans cr chronically think we do. We all think We've been taught that the stuff will bring the happiness and it's just not the case. And I've yeah. lived it. I've, you've heard it here, kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does not bring the happiness. You really, I mean, I, I'm just, the days that I do have those fears and I do, I still have them. My brother and I call it the little green man. <laughs> the little green man is the, like self-doubt. And he's this little guy who jumps on you and he was like, you suck. <laughs> you've blown it. I, I, you have to just, fight off the little green man sometimes in that I have a wonderful wife who's been with me through thick and thin. I have healthy children, two lovely gals. One, my older daughter just turned 18 this past wild, Saturday, which is crazy. Uh, and my younger daughter's 15. And it's, I have these healthy, happy daughters. You know, I love hearing this occasionally I'll hear them singing some Taylor Swift song in their room or, and that's, just knowing that they're living this happy life, you know, and that's, that's enough for me. And the job I'm in is, it's, as I say, I'm working with some really great people. Funny enough, I'm working from a, with a bunch of people from that bike shop, that wonderful bike shop. I ended up coming back and get my, I went and had a drink with an old friend and he, he said, Hey, send me your resume. And I ended up getting the job and I had that job all through COVID. So a lot of Zoom calls. But yes, there are those yeah. fears, though. To this day, I still have them of like, did we make the right choice? And my wife always just says immediately, yes, we did. We did. This is a much better life than we would have had in that big house and all the pressure and all the stress of trying to keep the stuff. Because the Irish, there's a, a saying the Irish say, uh, no, there's no pockets in a shroud is what they <laughs> That's what they say, which we would say, you can't take it with you. You know what I mean? All this money, all this money, what does it get you? You know, I made a half a million dollars one year as a rep, which was astronomical from when I, where I'd come from. But what does that give you in the end? No one on their deathbed is saying, man, I crushed Q4 in 2014. <laughs> Yeah. No, one, no one is ever you really just want to be around people you love and 
and people who love you, you know, that's it. And, and yeah. I, AB, one of the things I remember when I came back, I wanted to reconnect once we decided to come back to the U.S. is spend the time with the people that are real friends. Stop wasting our time on weird acquaintances that aren't really your people, but you hang out with them because of work or this or networking or this whole Game of Thrones thing that I just never wanted to play again. I I'm curious about something that you brought up uh, and, you know, about spending time with friends that really mean things mean, you know, big things to you who are true friends, um, whatever that it means in your head or someone else's head. Um, and then also you spoke about Wendy, your wife, who I know very well, and she is a wonderful, wonderful human. Speak to us a little bit about what that's been like in relationship, like aging in relationship, whether that's an intimate relationship or a friendship. How has that changed from, you know, the days of being in LA with your, your friends that took totally different paths, right? Yeah. And today. So Wendy and I have been together many, many years. As I told the tale earlier, we, we got together her freshman year of college. So it's, we've been together for 30 years, <laughs> 30 years, which is insane. But I will say in Los Angeles, you grow up very quickly there. So I was, I started dating seriously at 14 which is embarrassing to say, but you just do. So by the time I was 19 and I met Wendy, I was like, it's time to settle down, find myself a good lady, <laughs> which is hilarious to hear now because, you know, you see 19, you're so young. But at the time I felt like I'm ready. Find, I'm fine. I'm ready to find the gal. And luckily I did. I found Wendy and it, it's true. We have We've always just supported each other. We we made it clear what we needed early on. I, I my wife was, you know, a very independent lady, but we wanted to work, but then we had children and she was like, do you think I could be home? And I was like, hey, you're the woman studies major. If you want to be home, that's up to you. But if you ever want to go back, I'm never going to be like, you stay yourself home, make my dinner. I was never that guy because in my house, my father was home with us and my mom was the one who worked. So I never had that weird American thing where women stay home and I didn't grow up with that. So I had no concept of you, your suit should be here making me dinner. No, we've kind of grown up together, always worked out well together. But yes, to your point that what are the chances that we would have this midlife renaissance together? That's, mm -hmm. I remember the fellow, the hatchet man who, who called me and said, oh, you're not quitting because of me, right? <laughs> and he said, my wife would leave me. There's no way we could give up our house. I remember him saying that to me. It was like, oh yeah, my wife would never give up her house. And whereas my wife really saw it, we kind of lost those friends together. And we both said, what if we don't see 50? Like, what are we living for? Are we living for these, this, these walls? Is that what we're living for? And that we're so lucky that we had that same philosophy on life, that life is about living and not the stuff. If it weren't not for that, there's no, there's no way we're together. I'm one of those classic midlife crisis guys. who are like, he left everything and, <laughs> and the wife and kids are somewhere and he's on the road in Morocco. But uh, luckily she had that same philosophy. So I think I, some of it's luck. I love that, Adam. One of the topics that Dries and I have really deeply explored and will continue to on this show is all of the nuances and 
uh, I would say specific issues that we deal with as aging as women. And so I'm curious from your perspective, what pressures, what messages have you received from either society or otherwise as you have moved through this aging process as a man? I'm curious what has come up for you through the years. Aging for all of us is a hurdle. I remember even as a rep, I remember I was 37 at the time. And, I, you know, you're working with people who were much younger than you, as you know, A.B., you go into shops that you're selling to in, in the industry we're in, where most people are, I would say, 18 to 24. 18 to 24 is probably the age range you're dealing with. And I remember I met this wonderful gal. She was like, how old are you? And I said, 37. And she was, the look of horror <laughs> on her face. She was like, but you have so much energy. That's And I said, well, thank, thank you. You know, I just didn't know there is... It's always been a thing, and I, I don't think it ever stops. I mean, I think you probably have talked about our society is obsessed with youth, but we also don't want, people want the body and looks of youth, but they want the mind and age of an elder to mm -hmm. come together, and they, they, they read nonstop self-help books trying to create this, this forever, I guess, you know, forever 30 the 32 year old that has it all worked out but uh, it's just you have to just accept your body changing and do things a little differently but not lose the joy of life I think I, I don't know how else to describe it it is it's trying to find the joys that you still have available to you like I can't I'll never run under a five minute mile again you know, I've just accepted I'm not fast anymore. Those things go away, but. Uh, but you can keep up. getting out on your bike. But I can still keep yeah. riding my bike and I can't, I'm not as fast as I once was. I can't do the long, epic, epic bike rides that I'd once did, but I can still get out. And it's finding those little joys to keep life going. And also trying, you know, trying to foster those relationships that matter. I think that's what I'm at that point in my life. I, don't get me wrong. I still want another, in my job, you know, I'm still working to hit a bonus. I'm still trying to make a little extra money because I would like to travel more. I would like to, to earn more. And, it, and it's true you, to this day, I'm in an industry now where I think you're allowed to be a little older in the industry I'm in, which is nice. It's a, it's a more a blue collar style world where I think you're allowed to be older in this blue collar world, which I appreciate that I'm in now. I work with large electrical contractors and it's common to see older folks around. Yeah. People stay a lot longer. And I think that's something we've lost in this. And I would, I don't know where are the world we were in AB was kind of this weird white collar, but was it, you know what I mean? We were out in the field doing manual tasks, but nothing like a blue collar job, but, it was this strange corporate thing. I don't know, being an independent yeah. rep, you are, you have to be young. And I, I can't imagine what it was like for you, AB, you know, as it, I mean, we work for some terrible people. Young I mean, and female. Were, huh? <laughs> young and female. Yes. <laughs> it is, it is weird, but there is this weird, you want to look a little younger. I don't know if I'm just a product yeah. of that previous world that I, I don't know. I, I, I'm graying and I it's still have hair, which helps. So if you don't mind giving us a little 
snippet of what scares Adam Gossett about aging. Be really honest. Don't try to put a super positive spin on it. We don't, we just want the real thing. What scares Adam Gossett about aging? The thing that scares me about aging is losing my mind. I would hate to lose my mind. I think I've done a good job of keeping my body fit enough that I'll probably be around longer than my dad. My dad was gone at 66, um, but he smoked and made bad choices in his youth. But this neck thing was the first kind of wake up call. Like, ooh, you know, here I thought I've done everything right and still stuff wore out. But it's it's funny. You can either be active and your parts wear out or you can do nothing. You get gout. You know, I have a, from a lot of my friends have gout and diabetes now. So I was like, I think I'm going to go with the titanium over gout and diabetes. But losing my mind is the thing I think I fear most. That's the thing. I think this body will probably stick around. Um, but I yeah. don't want to be a burden to yeah. my family. I don't want to be the the mad king. You know, I don't want that them to deal with that. That that's the thing that scares me most. And 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 at one point when I was doing this surgery, um, one of the things you check off is like you might wake up and be paralyzed. You know, I mean, it's what if we get it wrong? You know, that was also terrifying. But I was in so much pain at the time. I, you know, when you have um, a herniated disc like I did, basically that a little disc was pushing into my spine and it was causing, it's kind of like a toothache in your arm that yeah. it just, it dances around like an electrical current. And you, no matter what you do, you can't Not get away it. from that. Yeah. So I was like, I'd rather be dead. The risk. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather be done. But yeah. so it worked out great. But yes, that's what does scare me. And this job, you know, this job is great, but there's always the fear of like, what if this doesn't work out? What if I've made a terrible mistake and my family's in poverty? You know what I mean? You do have that fear that I did this. I chose to blow up our lives for showing. I think this is all relatable, Adam. I love that yeah. you bring some of the health concerns, right? Like you say, losing your mind. And yes. I know Dries and I had a really in-depth conversation about this on one of our previous episodes. And for me, it's the same, right? Like I, I want my health intact. I know Dries wants her mobility intact for as long as possible. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of listeners can certainly relate to some of the things that they're not looking forward to possibly going through as they move through the aging process. I'm curious on the flip side, what excites you about getting older? Oh, that, that seems like a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> no trick, I promise. Um, getting older, I, well, you know, um, I, it excites me to think that I will be a grandparent one day. I do that excites me that the thought of having grandchildren, if I would love to see my grandchildren, um, we're, we're, we're talking about building a house uh, in the next two years. And I'm already thinking like, well, we need outside showers because it's near a beach. Um, and I was like, we can hose off the kids outside. You know, I'm already thinking that. So that does excite me. The thought of having grandkids, that's, which is crazy that I'm even saying that out loud. I sound so old, but that that is exciting to me that 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 future that seeing my my girls you know find their partners hopefully and falling in love with the one that becomes their their person trying to focus on the positive of the future you know and trying to keep myself healthy enough and you know 
I also have a fear of losing mobility. You know, mm-hmm. I love to ride my bike. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, the thought of not being able to do that anymore is a little scary to me that the day I'll have to say, oh, I have to give away the bikes or like start giving stuff away because you've seen it growing up. You know, you didn't think much of it as a kid when an older person started saying, oh, I can't do that anymore. And you're like, oh, you know, you're six or seven at the time. And you're thinking, well, that's, you, t- you don't, process the gra- the gravity of that that this was something this person identified like I remember this fellow was a bowler and he was all these bowling trophies and couldn't bowl anymore and so now he was just throwing stuff away and how hard that must have been that we do find our identity in in, in the things we do like I love to ride my bike Andrea is an amazing runner to this day and it's the thought of that I'd experienced it once before I must admit I was when I transitioned from runner to nothing you know I hurt my back at my freshman year of, at college and I couldn't uh, the speed went away and I had been a runner from yeah 15 14 15 to 19 and all of a sudden I, I was told you can't run anymore you said this I had this wonderful Russian doctor who said you can keep running but you will have limp <laughs> she said to me I'm like I'm 19 how is that possible but thank you for sharing yeah, yeah. That. but yes those things I hope that answered yeah One of the questions that we love to explore on this show ties back to the quote that Dree shared at the beginning, which is some people just get old while others become an elder. Something along those lines. I may have misspoken, but along those lines. And so same concept, same concept. (laughs) So Adam, we want to hear from you. What does becoming an elder mean to you? Hmm. I would say it's it's being able to accept your age. I mean, you never see an elder trying to be a young person. You know, an elder really accepts who they are at the time and the life they've lived. And maybe this is just my interpretation of an elder. But, and trying to impart that wisdom from, of their experience to others if they're, if it's asked of them, I never want to be that guy who just starts spouting off, you know, information to people, unless they come to you and say, Hey, what do I do if this happens? Or what, what has worked for you? I remember I, I at the night I got my job as a salesperson, um, back in the early 2000s, I called my uncle who was like, at one point, like the head salesperson for Levi Strauss in like the glory days. And he was it was, it probably brought him such joy. You know, now I realized that he was like, Hey, and he gave me all these little things to do. And he was like, Hey, never be afraid to call out the dogs of the line. And I, that, yeah, I always remember that he says, if something's, you know, if something's not, you know, a good piece, admit it to the guy and to whoever you're working with. And that will build the trust that you're not the company man who's like, this chartreuse shoe is going to be number one. You know, it's, that was, I I loved him helping me through that. And I always wanted to be that person someday for some young person, no matter what they're doing. But yes, I, I think it's accepting who you are. I mean, growing up in Los Angeles, I will say it was, it was the land of no one gets old. You know, it was the land of, at the time, there was no such thing as Botox. It was all facelifts. And, and just whatever people had to do to their bodies to make themselves look younger. And I remember 
my dad had this fellow over for dinner who was much, he was probably in his fifties. My dad asked him his age and he said, 29. And my dad laughed. He said, no, no, really. And he was like, and dead face, 29. <laughs> because he, he was in that world. He was in that. I remember him being as a kid, like, whoa, what is going on with that? Like, you know, you're not 29. I think he's still performing out there in LA. That guy, I've seen him at places and he's probably near 80 at this point, but still he's in, kind, of, kind of an Elvis impersonator looking guy. Mm. But uh, that's so that's, that's really interesting wow. because of that uh, industry. Yes. Which we could go off on, but yes. we won't. On that this. world, but I grew up in that world. Wow. So that's part yeah. of the reason I, I wanted to leave that place. Mm -hmm. of, like, I want to be able to grow old. You know, I don't want to have to pretend I'm 10 years younger than I am. I mean, it's exhausting. It was yeah. hard enough when I was 25, pretending I was 21, you know, so worried <laughs> I was going to get caught. Like Along those lines of, you know, becoming an elder. And I really appreciated how you have this, this feeling of embracing that, uh, Kelly and I have talked already about this, but for me, it's been something I've had trouble embracing, of uh, having anyone think of me as like this older, wiser person, even though I know I have a lot to offer, I have struggled to accept that. So hearing you, uh, speak to that almost like an excitement around it is really cool. I, I absolutely love that. Um, and, and along that, those same lines, I mean, do you, if you were, if you had, what would be your, you know, what would be your advice for that, those younger generations as from a male perspective, like about not only how to move through the world, but really to move through this aging process um, as, as a, a male in this culture? That's a great question. Um, I would, well, first of all, I would say start saving in your twenties, <laughs> retire at 50. I wish someone would have told me that. That's something I tell everyone. I, 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 during my travels, I met this wonderful group of um, Polynesian performers that came to me, which was funny, and asked me advice on like, how, how did you make money? You know, and which when it was these, all of them, they just listened to me. And I said, save 10% of everything you make. You know, I tried to give them that whole idea of you save 10% of everything you make. And they just, they were so thankful that they gave me this piece of jade which is a, in Polynesian culture, and this was New Zealand, so they were the Maori. Um, it's a really honor to get a piece of jade from the Maori. Your question about moving through the ages. Um, that, that's a tough one because in your 20s, it's, you're just trying to find who you are, I think, through your 20s. You know, you're just trying to find what you want to do, what you want to be when you grow up. You know, you'll end up somewhere. And it's trying to be, wherever you are, be great where you are. You know, if you're working at a bike shop, be great at that bike shop. Be, be the best you can no matter where you are. You know, trying to be great no matter what you're doing, I think will help you, you know, become who you want to become. Yeah. And you get to your 30s and it's still, I would say it's almost the same, but now you're building more serious relationships. At that point, you're building those relationships that hopefully will, you're building your tribe of people that will hopefully support you through life. Uh, if you haven't found them in your 20s, your late 20s, um, your 40s are the real test, I think, because that's when the boogie of, of midlife gets you. You know, did I do the right thing? Did I marry the right person? Do I make enough? Accepting where you are 
and being finding the joy in wherever you are. And I think it will help you immensely in your 40s. And stop to try to realize that you don't have to have all the stuff, that stuff will not bring you joy. If you can get to that spot, I think it will save you from the classic midlife crisis of leaving your wife and buying the car as, as most men I saw growing up do it. And that was, I think, part, the part of the thing that helped me growing up in Los Angeles was seeing all of my friends' dads have their midlife crisis and divorcing their mothers for secretaries and only seeing them on weekends. And I, as a little kid, I remember seeing that and saying, well, okay, I have to be aware of this age. This age is dangerous because mm -hmm. these men were trying to be boys. And, I, and as a boy, all you want to do is be a man. But all these men wanted to do was be boys. And I remember that really making an impact on me of like, be a, be a grown-up. You, you've worked so hard to become this person. And now you want to be with someone who's half your age, who's, you want to go dancing at the club? What, <laughs> like, what are you, what are you doing? So I was very aware that this was a dangerous time. Uh, my whole life. And then it came and it, who knew it was, but I, I was just lucky enough to find someone who wasn't wrapped up in the American way of life. I mean, my wife saw that opportunities will happen if you believe in yourself and you just do something that brings you joy. That is a great um, segue into the, the kind of that overarching thought there, which oddly enough, I was talking to our mutual friend, Emily today, and something she said, you know, she's in this process of trying to kind of figure some things out and decide where she wants to go as far as career wise. And, and she just said sort of an exasperation. She's like, my God, I'm building my eulogy here, not my resume. And I just thought, you know, I don't know where that saying comes from. I'm just going to give it to her because the way she said it was where it hit me. I'm sure I've heard it before, wow. but there was something about the way she said it, that I feel like you, you are, you are getting there. Like you're kind of laying it out there. And I'm like, Oh, that's what she meant. Like literally what Adam's talking about right now yeah. is that almost like radical self-acceptance of, of where you are finding yeah. that joy in, in the present and not letting that you know, the, the past, what you didn't do or did do, or wish you would hard. have done. And it's I'm not, not going to say it is, it is. It's, it's not very a, difficult. It, I'm sorry. I jump. No, off no, no, yeah. you go. It's daily. It's a daily thing. You have to find, be thankful for the things you have be the daily that I, you know, you still you, being an, being an American, you know, we're renting right now because we missed the, you know, the housing market post COVID went crazy and we missed the opportunity to buy up here. And I have this weird, like, ache of like, oh, I missed it. And now, well, you know, we're going to have to build this house and it's going to be 10%. And you start, what if I'd made the wrong decision? But it's just trying to pull. For me, my reset is going to ride my bike. And I'm sure, AB, for you, it's going for a run. You know, it's that, that moment where you can just get the voices to quiet down and just be in the forest and, and just hearing your own breath. It's, it's, I'd say it's almost meditation, I guess, yeah, correct? Cathartic. You know, you agree? Yeah, super cathartic. You get out into the woods and then I come back and I realize it's going to be fine. 
And, yeah. You know, Kelly and I have talked a lot about that beat, just being in nature for her. It's hiking with her dog. Yeah. Um, just like being out in that quiet space and um, yeah, it's, we all, we all thankfully are pretty connected to nature as much as the culture tries to separate us from it. It's, and that's probably why, you know, it's like, we're constantly in conflict with, with the nature of aging, <laughs> but yet when you're in nature, you're not even thinking about that. So there's an yeah. interesting, um, dichotomy there. Yeah, no, it, it's so true. It's the last thing on your mind other than like, I can't climb you know, sometimes <laughs> you, have the, you have the ghost of yourself ahead of you on a climb. You're like, man. <laughs> what, what you said about being here now and just the observations that you made as a young child, you know, men trying to be boys where you're a boy trying to be a man. I think that was so, so profound. And I think that will resonate with anyone who's out there either raising boys or, any boys out there that want to listen to our podcast. So any just like final takeaways that you would want someone to, to understand about aging through life, like any final little nuggets that you've learned in your 50 some odd years that you want to share with our audience? I would say uh, appreciate the age you are. We, mm. I, I, that's something I think I, you know, I have to get past the ghosts of my former self. Like we all do, you know, there'll be something that we wish we were younger. I recently just rode my mountain bike in British Columbia and it's these, the, the Canadians for such a docile people make some of the scariest mountain bike trails on the planet. And I was at the time wishing I was 20 years younger <laughs> to ride these trails. so I wouldn't be so afraid of crashing because crashing in your 20s it's much different than crashing in your 50s. So you have different to ride cautiously. Sure. Yes, it's different. But at the same time, if you talk to any person in their 70s right now, they'll say, oh, 50, 50. I was still in my prime in my 50s. And just like we'll tell some, we meet people in their 30s and they're like, oh, I'm 30. What am I going to do? I'm like, what are you talking about? 30 is amazing. So appreciate where you are and that you have the honor of being that age you know we, we we've known so many friends all of us i'm sure every person listening to this has lost friends in their 20s in their 30s in their 40s and, and that we've miraculously made it to this age that we should just appreciate the life we have you know it's it's it is a gift life and you you have to appreciate for what it is. Every relationship you have, every every person you meet, it's trying to build something that will last between you and the people you meet. No one gets out of here alive. This is it. So make the most of it, you know. Build these little moments that you'll remember because that's what matters. You'll never, as I say, I can't tell you how many quarters we made our goal, Andrea. I don't know if you can. I know I was salesman yeah. of the year. Yeah, I remember yeah. that a couple, three times. I think I was salesman of the year. But what does that get you after it's all said and done? That's yeah. that's a beautiful sentiment. All of all of that just um yeah, that especially hits home just the idea of who's gonna be at your at your side in the end. So yeah. something I think everyone should and uh will keep in mind. At least I certainly will. Um, Adam, we're so grateful to you for no. taking some time out of your evening. Like I, that's really no. special. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode five. 
uh, such a wonderful experience to have this conversation with Adam and look forward to being in your ear next week. But in the meantime, age like you mean it. Woo. All right. Hey, thanks y'all. Have a good one. (laughs) Bye-bye. I'll see you guys. If you'd like to reach us, please email at yfmapod at gmail.com. That's yfmapod at gmail.com.